0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin.
1: This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups and my guest today is Meryl Johnston. Meryl, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide.
0: Hey Kevin, it's great to be here.
1: So I am really looking forward to kind of hearing your backstory. We chatted a little bit before we, we hit the record button, but share a little bit with our audience. Who is Meryl Johnston?
0: So I'm originally an accountant, but before that, I always wanted to run businesses. So at heart, I think that I'm more of an entrepreneur than an accountant. And I was the kid that at school loved, you know, my parents would have a garage sale and I'd love trying to do deals and, and, and sell things. But I actually spent 10 years in corporate accounting before I then made that transition back to running my own business. So I spent a little bit of time working at BDO, which is an international accounting firm in audit, and also works in corporate accounting roles at some big companies in Queensland, which is where I live in Australia.
1: So you kind of skipped over the whole earlier life wanting to be Yvonne Gulagong or Rod Laver. <laughs> you kind of missed that one just a little bit. you want to touch on that? Because I actually had listened to that on another podcast, and I said I'd listened to a couple of the interviews you had done. And I'm, I'm really curious about this, this whole idea that, uh, you know, tennis kind of played in, the, in that a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I don't play tennis anymore. And, and now my life revolves around surfing. But in my early days, in fact, from when I was about eight to 22 years old, my life is all about tennis. And I, I started, my, my grandmother was actually a top tennis player. And through the years, I, I spent a lot of time training and actually at one point wanted to become a professional tennis player and play Played some professional tournaments. I took a gap year between finishing high school and university, and that was where I played those tournaments. So a lot of my life, my school life, was spent at tennis courts training, and it was really great discipline actually sure. for running a business. It takes uh, it's a sport that requires a lot of mental toughness. They they talk about the game being mental, not just physical. And yes, I did the physical training, and, and I'm my physique is different to that of a lot of other tennis players. I'm not. I'm only five foot three, so I'm little. And I'm also quite petite. I think I weighed about 53 kilograms back when I was playing. <laughs> so I, I did not have the physique. So for me, it was all that grit and determination and doing the best that I could playing against these much larger players. And I think that really set me up for business, which where you need a lot of grit and determination as well.
1: Well, it's, that's really interesting. I, I love the whole idea that, uh, I mean, just kind of life phases that you've kind of gone through that. And even, I mean, we've talked about this many, many times on the show about, you know, nothing in your, in your past is wasted. And I mean, I'm sure you, you know, like you just mentioned, you're bringing some of these to the table, even, even today. So take us through kind of that transition, maybe the, the whole idea that, that said you woke up one day and said, Hey, I need to go out on my own because I, I'm really not a very good employee.
0: <laughs> oh, it was funny. My thinking behind that was that I'd left my role at at BBO in Melbourne and I worked really quite long hours there. It was an interesting job and and I really felt like I was progressing my career being around other great accountants. But I decided to leave there and move to the Gold Coast for the lifestyle, for the warm weather and surfing. But then I ended up working for another big company in a corporate role and I was getting quick. I had three or two promotions in the space of two years. I was quickly moving up the ladder. And there I was working nights, working weekends again. And after a couple of years of that, I reflected, and thought, hang on, I moved here for the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I'm just following the same patterns that I was following in Melbourne. Is this really what I want? And so I I left that job with nothing to go to and went traveling for a couple of months. And when I came back, I wasn't really sure what I would do. I'd always known that I wanted to run a business, but, but even then I didn't know whether it was the right time to start a business, but I didn't have any work. So I thought, well, I'd I'd give it a go. And I also, through a recruitment company, registered as an accounting contractor. And so that provided a little bit of income. And I just registered a business name, got a logo, and and had a go at doing a consulting business. And I hadn't really thought through or done a lot of planning. I, I hear other people leave their corporate jobs and they've spent a couple of years planning what that business would look like. No, that wasn't me. I just was ready for a change. I left my job with nothing. And when I came back from overseas, I thought, all right, let's just see what happens. I'd actually, I'd saved up a year of runway. So I wasn't under financial pressure to earn money tomorrow, which I think really helped.
1: Yeah, I think it, that's probably true. And I, it seems like I remember that uh, you actually, did you have a business partner when you started or did you start this on your own?
0: Well, so that was my next business. So I went from the consulting business, MCJ Consulting, which was how I transitioned from corporate to working for myself. And then running that business, I realised the challenges in scaling. So once I got into it, then I realised I love business. I'd forgotten that I really (laughs) enjoyed this. And so I got really involved in the business community. I went to, there's events called Startup Weekends, which I think run all around the world. So I've sure. been to one of those yep. events. And then it kind of triggered my thinking about, actually, I, I want to run something that's got global potential and the ability to scale. And my consulting business does not have that potential. And so it was there that I, I met uh, I, I met in an online community, a guy called Ben, who turned out to be my co-founder for my next business, which was being Ninjas. So the transition from corporate was the consulting business, and then the transition from that was into a more of a scalable startup, which is what I run today.
1: So, a uh, confession time here. I mean, I was an accounting major in university for about fifteen minutes. That's about how <laughs> long it took me to decide that I hated this, the whole idea of the of looking at numbers and spreadsheets and ledgers all day long and debiting my credits and vice versa. But I gotta, I gotta confess to you, I looked at the name of your business over and over and over again, thinking what does this have to do with coffee? And then oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, it's not coffee, you silly old man. It is, it's the kind of the old derogatory adage of accountants—they're bean counters. That's, that's Absolutely. Exactly. Where it, it had to come from that. So, <laughs> tell tell us a, the little um, genesis of the name. There, there it is, right there. So, how did you come up with the name?
0: It's funny. I didn't even like the name when we first started, and now I get all kind of. Well, it's a conversation startup. Some people love it. Yeah. Some people don't. But people remember it. And when we were picking the name, we were following a process from a book called The Seven Day Startup. And there's a number of steps to starting a business in seven days, including choosing a business name, creating a logo, building a website and coming up with your pricing packages and trying to get a customer in your first seven days. And with that methodology, you can't spend months trying to pick a business name, you just have to get started and, and try and find customers. So we knew that we wanted a .com website because we wanted to be a global business mm-hmm. and then we knew that it would be hard to find something like a five-letter domain name. So we literally just ran all different kinds of combinations and searched what .coms were available and then what kind of sounded not a traditional accounting firm but maybe related to the accounting industry. So we looked at all combinations of being something as well as many other words. And that was the one my business partner liked the best. I, I wasn't sold on it. <laughs> but we had to make a decision and move on. And I, always be, I figured if it turned out, if we actually got customers and it turned into something, we could always change the name later if we wanted to. And then it stuck and, and it grew on me. And now I love it. <laughs>
1: Isn't that the way it happens sometimes? So let me ask you, this, this is kind of a crazy question, but has the, has it ever been a detriment in dealing with, with companies that, that you wanted to onboard?
0: So I think it could be, if we were trying to work with a, a corporate business and do their bookkeeping, they might not want to work with a business called Bean Ninjas. But we, we have an ideal customer and traditional businesses with, who have more of a corporate mindset and not our ideal client. So I think it repels people that aren't our ideal client, but it attracts the modern tech savvy business Absolutely, that we want to work yeah.
1: with. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it actually, I mean, I, I think of all these different different companies that have started up that have these kind of unique quirky names that, you know, that it just fits their whole vision. And it fits who they are as a company, it fits their brand identity type things. So, you, you know, you kind of play off of that, of that wordplay a little bit, but that's a, that's a perfect segue into the kind of the next section that I wanted to ask you about. And that really is, um, you know, you talked about, you know, identifying who your ideal client is. And you know, if you have identified that, let's say, I, I look like your ideal client here and you and I are stepping on a, on a lift to go up, you know, 10, 10, stories here. Tell me, give me your elevator pitch for the next, you know, 30, 30 seconds to a minute.
0: I usually adapt it to who I'm talking to. So our tagline is Binages, which so our, our mission is to provide stress-free business finances to create freedom for entrepreneurs. And we provide bookkeeping, financial reporting and education. Mm-hmm. services so that's what we do but then i would really adapt that to well who am i talking to is this someone that's just starting a business then i'd probably talk more about education products and how we teach people to do bookkeeping or business owners on how to understand their numbers whereas if it was a much more established business i'd probably be talking about forecasting and, and the importance of building a finance team so i I've got kind of the framework of, well, this is what we do. This is our core message and why we do it. But I really adapt it every time, depending on who I'm talking sure. to and what I think is relevant.
1: Sure. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, but does a, does a brand or a solo startup or does an individual, as a coach, so to speak, do they have to get to a certain level before they would need your services? Or are you talking about maybe from day one?
0: I think it's important to have an accounting system in place from day one but it might not make sense to outsource the bookkeeping from day one.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. We we usually say businesses that are trading over between 100,000 and 200,000, that's kind of the entry point into our done for you recurring bookkeeping service. But we identified that it can take a couple of years to get to that point. So what can we offer prior to that stage? And that's where we have a zero setup product. So we'll work with someone who's just starting the business to get the accounting software set up correctly. And then we have a training product say all right well we've set up everything the right way and optimised that now here's some training on how to do it yourself until you're ready to start looking at outsourcing tasks like what
1: a what a great way to kind of onboard It's, it's something like like a progressive onboarding where if you're providing the kind of the you know the nurturing process with them early and then when they're ready to to go full scale you're you're right there you you kind of walk them through and wean them off the, you know, doing it themselves, so to speak. So, you got to be a little more specific because it, I know I know you work in many different areas. You're talking Aussie dollars, Hong Kong dollars, Canadian dollars, mm-hmm. American dollars. <laughs> so,
0: I'm um, there. I'm talking in US dollars. I, I figured that's kind of generally what a lot of our audience w- would associate with. We do work with right. clients in a lot of countries. We charge sure. in US dollars for all of our clients apart from Australian clients and we
1: charge Australian dollars to them But in terms of the revenue numbers, I said, yeah, that's based on US dollars. Right. So I, we, we uh, lived in the UK for like nine years and I, the, the uh, nonprofit that I worked for, I mean, we worked with a charter accountant every year doing audits and, and uh, you know, looking at our, our book of accounts and our reports and stuff like that. This, the accounting system in the UK is vastly different than the accounting system in the US. How do you kind of bridge that gap? If you have you know clients in both places, do you actually hire people that are U.S. based accountants? I know you have you have people that are working for you remotely as well. So how do you how do you kind of in essence you know find someone that's adept in those markets?
0: We do hire local staff. So we've got someone. My business partner actually is based out of Tucson, Arizona, in the <laughs> U.S. And our team manager, so our basically our senior. Accounted is based in Manchester in the UK, so we do have local knowledge. But also, that's the beauty of bookkeeping. And that was, if I go back to figuring out the business model that I wanted with images, well, tax is very country-specific, but bookkeeping, which feeds up into international accounting standards, there's differences, but they're a lot more similar than taxable. And so that was where I saw an opportunity to build a global business where if we can just focus on the bookkeeping side of things and then each of our clients have a local tax accountant, then things like structure and tax, they can have those specialists provide that advice, whereas our processes are very, you know, 80 85% the same regardless of what country we're in. And so our team in the Philippines can do that processing for our client, regardless of the country we're in, and then we have the specialist review it with that location or that country-specific knowledge, and then of course there's the accountant at the end for any of the taxes and things like that.
1: Sure, that I mean that, that makes perfect sense, and I and I think you're you're exa- I mean, obviously, you know more about this than I do, but I think you're exactly right that that the tax structure and the and the tax rules and regulations be much more different than than just the kind of the basic standard. You know, um, you know what the standard. Um, the 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 uh, what am I trying to think of that? The like the international thing. accounting
0: standards.
1: Yeah, first, yes, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. something. I know there's some three-letter acronym or whatever that that's kind of the, you know, the. This the,
0: which is what Australian follows, and then there's GAP, U.S. GAP. That's what I was trying to, to think of, out. the GAP, yeah, the yeah. general yeah.
1: accepted principles or whatever it's called, exactly. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I was trying to think of, thank you for, uh, <laughs> because I'd have probably woken up at 3 a.m., that's what I was trying, <laughs> trying to think of. So, so I, I like the idea that, you know, you've made this kind of the transition from kind of the corporate side of things and gotten out of the cube, so to speak, and, you know, launched mm-hmm. on your own. But one thing about it, I mean, I think that, that uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it may have helped the transition a little bit is because you you virtually stayed in the same industry. So the things you were doing on the corporate side, you, you know, transfer directly. What about, um, what has been the biggest difference that you've seen, you know, are, or have you gone from being an accountant to an entrepreneur and now you're spending much more time just running the business than doing accounting or, what, what, what are some of the things that you've really, you know, woken up and think, wow, this is so different?
0: You're right. I actually do my role and my job title now is CEO and did have that title, but not live it out. If you're running a service business and your skill set is in that service and you can get really dragged back into delivery. Sure. And when I was running my consulting business, I was the technical expert. So I was involved in every single project, and it was really hands-on, and it's really hard for me to be a business owner because I was right. in service delivery. Whereas bookkeeping was a lot more simple than the kind of more complex consulting I was doing. So it's easier to systemize that and build a team.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'll give you
0: an example of what my role looks like now. In April of this year, we, my partner and I, had our first child, and I was able to take a month out of the business. Um, not touch anything. So, we had people handling sales coming in, onboarding new clients, delivery, quality insurance, and the team also hired a new full-time bookkeeper, all while I wasn't there and the business grew. So, for me, that was that's what it means to be a CEO is to have a team in place that can run the whole business without you. But that took a lot of time and effort. That took four years yeah. to get things to that yeah. point. And it took a very intentional effort on my behalf not to be involved in the delivery, which is hard. because. I can jump in and solve accounting problems, that's my craft. So to stay out of that, it would have been easier to be in that business owner role if I wasn't an accountant. I think if I was thinking of other service business owners, naturally you want to create a service business with your skill set. but if you're trying to be a business owner and build an asset, sometimes it's easier if from day one, you have to hire someone or have a business partner that's doing service delivery, so someone can be focused on running the business. But I don't. If I look at the market, that's not naturally how it happens. People normally go into consulting with their skill set first, yeah, exactly, and then have those challenges around scaling.
1: Right, right. It's it's a little bit about the whole premise of the book, the e myth. You know that yep. you're really good at what you do, and then, but one of these days you're going to wake up and start working on your business instead of in it. So, um, I, I love the lessons that that. Uh, I mean, over the number of po- interviews we've done on on the podcast, just how many people have talked about you know, that transition and some of it, some people have found it very difficult to do because I mean, they, they are great uh, technicians. They're great tacticians. They're great at so many different things, but that idea of delegating and taking your hands off and actually, you know, leading the business versus actually working in it has been a really difficult transition for them. Have you, you found that to be true or has it been pretty easy or somewhere in the middle? I
0: found it it hard. It was all my goal from day one. So from the beginning, we we're really clear about processes in a team and trying mm-hmm. to get out of all of the, the different roles apart from leading the business. But on the other side, I'm really proud of my profession. So some, I suppose some of my professional pride is tied up in doing great accounting work. Yeah. And the, the quality of what I was doing as a consultant, but, but also the price, you know, 10 times the price of what we're charging for bookkeeping. And so I found that quite difficult to separate my professional reputation from the the level of service that you can expect when you're hiring a bookkeeper, when you're not hiring Meryl Johnston, the consultant. And that took me quite some time to work through to understand, well, this is what we're offering as bookkeepers and we wanna be world-class bookkeepers. And that's still very different to hiring Meryl Johnston, the chartered accountant consultant.
1: Right, exactly. And I I think, so when, when you went from corporate to the consultancy, was it specifically around like financial management? Was it was it in account? I mean, was it accountancy, bookkeeping cons- consultation, that type of thing, or was it more general business consultation?
0: It was everything. I had, I just was, was taking any work that I could. So I was doing some bookkeeping. I was doing some big software integration. So I'd go in and act on behalf of the company to to with the software consultant. So I'd I'd act like the internal project manager. I go and help companies prepare for audit. Again, acting as the, mm. the internal company liaison to the external auditors. Right. I was doing huge clients to tiny clients. I was just doing anything. So, really, just to get it off the ground. I, I hadn't figured out I'd a client or anything like that. And, and I really only thought through that when I was running or when I moved to Vantage. And for me, it was a gradual transition. So I kind of went from doing contracting work through the recruitment business and mm-hmm. then scaling up consulting and then i kept on doing that consulting just because it paid a high hourly rate compared to trying to build a systemized business like right. Ninja's. and it was only 18 months into Beanages that i fully stopped consulting and went full-time in that so for me it was just kind of a gradual transition if i, I wanted to just drop consulting but i needed that money to pay for living expenses yeah. and yeah. then gradually you know being had much more scale but was more cost intensive at the beginning to hire a team and build systems than doing the consulting so it's more scalable but more expensive and then so i didn't rush into that i kind of had to gradually transition
1: now that that, that makes perfect sense and i i mean i, I really like the idea of you know just i, I can even hear kind of the struggle that you were you're, you talked about kind of the ebb and flow of i got this i don't have this i got this i don't have this <laughs> And just the whole idea of how do you how do you make that transition and you may have already answered this, but how would you define, um, you know, as Simon Sinek talks about, you know, finding your why? And I'm really curious about that. Like, what, what's the thing that gets you out of bed? What gets your heart pumping in the morning? What, what, uh, you know, in those days you just don't want to get up? What, what's the thing that drives you in essence?
0: Well, I have an interesting story around this from our business why, because in the early days of being injured, my co-founder and I are really clear about why we wanted to do it. And it was so from my perspective, it was to run a global business and turn grow it to seven figures and work less than twenty hours a week. That was kind of what I wanted, so that I could spend more time surfing and traveling, but still have a fun business. And then I realized, well, my team doesn't really care about that. That's so a very selfish. Why? That's just all about me. <laughs> so that's not really going to excite or inspire a team.
1: Yeah, come work for me. I don't want to work anymore. <laughs> so that's exactly. I love that company yeah. vision.
0: So then we did a whole process around bringing the team together, and we're a remote team, so we did it online through mm-hmm. workshop through a workshop to really define what our mission, vision, and values were all about. And we didn't want to just be pigeonholed into we're doing bookkeeping and we're giving reports actually our purpose we see it as freedom and so i wanted that freedom to surf and travel and not work at office hours and work right. from anywhere in the world that's what i wanted Well, we realized that's what our team want and, and that's what our clients are after too so we're about trying to create that freedom by helping business owners understand their numbers and then make data-driven decisions so that they can have freedom not so they can drive a ferrari it's more about creating the time so they can step out of their business and be with their family or go surfing and so that's what gets me out of bed every day because i'm trying to create that environment for my team and for me and my family but also we're trying to help all of our clients achieve that and we think that if we can do that and our, our aim is to help ten thousand businesses with that over a period of years these business owners and their families are going to be happier as well, that they won't have the financial stress, that they've got more time to do, to take care of their health and, and do what's important to them. So that's kind of how we try to have an impact.
1: So do you, I, it, it may be a difficult to answer this question because, uh, you know, just the relatively short runway, I mean, I think I read somewhere where this started in 2015. Is that about the time it started? So, so over the last, say, three and a half, four years, how, how have you seen retention? So um, is this, is this a business that tends to churn, you know, people and there's, there's relatively high turnover or have you seen, hey, the, the first 50 clients we have, we still have 48 of them, you know, on the books, so to speak. So what, what do you, would you say would be your kind of the, the, I guess the turnover in essence of, of clientele?
0: So I think we're we're lucky in the industry that we're in bookkeeping. People stay with their accountant or their bookkeeper for a long time. Mm. So it makes the sales cycle longer because it's, it's harder to get people to switch. Right. And then clients stay with us. So our churn is under 2% a month. Uh, wow. So
1: that
0: gives you a, an indication. Yeah. Of, you, know, people, you don't just sign up for a bookkeeper and then move to someone else in two sure. months. You normally stay with your bookkeeper.
1: As long as you're in business, if you're in business, you you stay with them, yeah. So, this is uh, this is a, another spot that we like to transition in during the the chat here, and this is the one that I, where I, I get to take the headphones and kind of lay them down and get away from the microphone because I really want to highlight, you know, our guest here because this is the opportunity that you get to. You know, you've dreamt all your life about being a university professor. So here you go. You get, you get your your shot in the spotlight. But I'm really curious, just the whole idea of what would it be like if you would, you know, go back and and start up again tomorrow. What would it look like? What would you do? What are some lessons that you've learned? Maybe two or three things. Here's the here's the three steps I would do tomorrow if I was going to start a business. So. Just, I think this is really apropos for our, our listeners on because many of them, you know, they're probably thinking through this in their minds anyway about what does it look like to take that leap, so to speak. So walk us through that a little bit. So what would you do and, and what would it look like?
0: So if I was starting again, the first thing I'd want to make sure is my personal finance situation. So I want to have runway. So I want to have savings. So if I don't have savings, then I'd consider staying in my job for a bit longer and maybe working mm-hmm. another year to build up a bank balance. I'd then also be looking at how can I cut my personal expenses, living costs, or talk with my partner about what we can do there because when you're growing a business, you don't want to have huge costs and have to pay yourself a big wage in the early days Really, yeah. you want to be focused on growing your business. So first of all, I'd make sure my personal finances are sorted out and then I've got some runway there so that I don't have too much pressure. Then I'd be following the seven day startup method or something like that. So how can I get to market really quickly? And, and the approach that I think is important with entrepreneurship, which comes from Rob Walling's stair-step method is you don't have to go for the most difficult business model in your first business. So entrepreneurship is like a career. So you might want to build a tech mm, startup. I love that. that. doesn't. It doesn't have to be your first business. It's, it's going to take time to build the skill set as an entrepreneur. In the same way, for me, it took me 10 years to really build my skills as an accountant. But pick an easier business model, and that will depend on your skill set and your industry knowledge, your network as to what an easier business model is. But something like building software is probably not the easiest business model compared to something like services right. originally. And, and so for me, my first business was consulting. That was really easy to get started, low barriers to entry. And there's a lot of skills you need to learn around sales, proposal writing, dealing with customers, client experience, maybe you're building an audience. So I would do that in a lower pressure environment where you're still getting paid, whether that's consulting or some other service business. And then gradually ramp up from there. So for me, Ninjas is a product service business model. So I went from being involved in service delivery to building a team to to run a service business for me and build an asset. And then now we're building digital products which are much more scalable than service. But I didn't jump into that and I probably couldn't have afforded to do that and I wouldn't have had the knowledge that I do about our market and their problems, what problems need to be solved four years ago. So I've I've been paid through the service business to understand that market, build an audience, refine our marketing message. So now we're building products. If I was to recap on that, number one is sort out the the personal finance situation. Mm -hmm. Two is just get started and launch and follow something like the seven-day startup method where you're getting a customer in the first week. And then three is thinking about entrepreneurship as a career and and picking an easier business model to build your skills so you can stay in, in the industry for 10 or 20 years, not pick a hard business model that's going to fail in year one and then you have to go back and get a job
1: you know i've been doing this podcast for two years every week we've launched a new episode and i think this is the first time that then a guest has actually talked about choosing a kind of a low barrier to entry business to so to, to, it eases the the transition to that business it lowers the likelihood of you failing you know early i mean i i really love that philosophy and and with the idea that it's not um, it's not a static point on a line. It's a it's really a dynamic movie in essence that you know, you're kind of this whole idea of of entrepreneurship as a career. You know, as as you progressed in your previous career, as you progressed in, in jobs that you've had, this whole idea that as you step into the business world, it's it's a similar pathway. You know, you just happen to be the boss and you can go surfing in the middle of the afternoon if you want to. So <laughs> Anything else that uh, that you wanted you wanted to uh, to mention about that specific topic, or even anything that you mentioned in this in that that just la- last round up or last wrap up there?
0: I think an attitude or having a growth mindset helps with that. So, mm. not assuming that you have all the answers, and you don't have to have all the answers. There's so many things to learn, and just be strategic about what you're learning about. But for myself, I decided that I wanted to learn about storytelling and blog writing and content marketing is a, a big part of our marketing strategy now. And as an accountant, I didn't know anything about that. But I consciously made a decision to learn that skill. Whereas something like design and coding, not really my kind of thing. So I decided I need to learn enough to hire the right people for that. So that I'm I've got a well rounded business or entrepreneurial skill set, but I'm not going to go deep in that. Right. We're just having that that growth mindset of you don't know everything and it's okay. But always continuing to learn and,
1: and enjoy the process yeah i mean it's the, the the idea that kind of stuck in my mind as you were talking is you don't have to know it all but you have to know enough to exactly. about that about the particular thing that you're, you're you learn just it's like what is the the accounting method just in time accounting you know you you're just, <laughs> just in time inventory you know you yep. it is you it has to be there when you need it and and yes. beyond that you can you can kind of make the transition but is there anything that uh, we haven't touched on today that uh, you'd really like to just kind of wrap us up with today? And and then um, I, mean, I really appreciate you just taking the time and I've enjoyed the chat and just hearing your, your kind of your, your business transition story and just kind of lessons learned along the, on the way. But is there anything I have not touched on that you want to kind of wrap up with and then just tell people where the best place to find you online? I
0: will. I'll share one message around accounting. And a message that this ties into the learning mindset. Mm -hmm. I I talk to a lot of business owners who feel like they can outsource their accounting and their bookkeeping and just wash the hands of it and take no responsibility. And one of my core messages and why I really believe in training is that as the CEO and the business owner, you need to understand enough about accounting and your numbers, the the responsibility for knowing the numbers lies with you, Mm -hmm. even if you're hiring other people to help. And it, for some reason, it seems like business owners kind of wash their hands of that more than they do the sales or marketing or yeah. elements of their business. And so I really encourage every business owner to put some time into learning a little bit about accounting and going a little bit deeper than you might normally into the numbers for your business, because that's what's going to drive the success of your business. Many businesses fail due to cash flow problems. That's the number one reason in Australia. So actually put the time in. And and use that growth mindset to learn something about
1: accounting. All right. I and mean, yeah, that's great. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was just going to add the, my contact details, but I you look like you're going to follow on from Well, just from
1: the that. whole idea of just, you know, that, that I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, you know, that, which gets monitored is, is uh measured, that's yeah. what's measured is met or something like that. So
0: that's the yeah the Peter Drucker code. What, what is gets measured gets done. Let's get exactly,
1: yeah. Lines. That's what I was trying to try. <laughs> it was somewhere out there <laughs> floating around. Same world, same place where the gap accounting principles were <laughs> that, that I couldn't put my finger on. So well, I think I'm it's early God. stage dementia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a grandpa now, so who knows? It, it could be starting early. So, yeah, tell, tell me where they can find you online. A couple of places.
0: So there's the Bee Ninja's website, which is B-E-A-N ninjas.com which you can
1: see all right you got it right <laughs> there on the screen yeah
0: and i'm also quite active on linkedin so anyone's welcome to connect with me there and that's my name meryl johnston
1: all right we'll make sure that those are, are in the show notes and uh, meryl thank you so much for just taking the time today it's uh early morning in australia and, and in the evening on the east coast of the u.s but it's just been a pleasure talking to you and just kind of hearing your business transition story and and just really, I appreciate you sharing just kind of golden nuggets for, of us, you know, that are, that are further behind you in this process and in growing the business process. But just thank you for really just sharing your wisdom and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Meryl, have a great day.
0: Thanks so much. Steve. fun. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.